0: let's go through every single package installed on a linux install dvd specifically slackware 14.2 of course these are all open source packages that i'm talking about on this show so they probably can still apply to you even if you're not running slackware and even if you're not running linux these are open source packages so you can download the source code and run them on any computer whether you're running linux mac windows BSD doesn't matter. You can learn probably something from this episode. So let's get started. In this episode, we're going to go over help to man. This is not going to take us long. It is a rather short little command, but there's more after this, so don't worry. Help to man is a GNU software. So let's go to GNU.org/software/help to. That's the number two man. This uh, little command enables you to. Create software with a help menu, which honestly is very often almost done for you—not um, exactly for you—but when you're implementing help or not help um, option parsers in your software, you're, you're very frequently using an option parser library, such as getopt or get getopt args get getopt args on Lua. Is that is that the name of it? Something like that. Um, c- c- commons dot uh, Commons dash cli from apache for java and and so on so you've got these libraries that someone else has written to help you discover the options that you use when using a command or when the what what, the options that the user has passed to the command when typing it in and so the the author of the software is is typing things like option config equals option dot builder parentheses quote c quote parentheses dot long opt parentheses, quote, config, close, uh, quote, close, parentheses, and let's say dot uh, des for description, and then parentheses, quote, set config file, close, quote, and then dot, I don't know, build, parentheses, parentheses, semicolon, something like that. I, I've left some stuff out, but you get the idea. They, they just tell the the, the code, the, the, their program, what the option, the short option, the long option need to be, and what the description is, and then they create a help. The library includes some kind of help formatter so that when you run that command without any options that are required, for instance, then it intercepts you and gives you a helpful message. Pretty common. You've seen it. doesn't always happen because sometimes applications don't have any required options. The ls command, you'll, you'll very rarely see a help menu for ls. I mean, honestly, I can't even tell you for sure that there is one. Because you can just issue ls, and it does ls. That's the default action. No no options required. No reason to inter, intercept the user and sort of intercede. I guess if you do ls-help, dash dash you probably get something. Yeah. So you get a big, long help menu if you do ls-help, dash dash or a help uh, message. So apparently, in the words of this software here, Help2Man, it says that Help2Man is a tool for automatically generating simple manual pages from program output. Although manual pages are optional for GNU programs, other projects, such as Debian, require them see man pages in GNU coding standards. So this essentially is a shortcut so that a Developer who wants their application, or maybe a packager who wants to package an application from a developer, to get included into something like Debian, which says you know you have to have a man page in order to submit a package. This gets this gets you a man page from just the help the help menu. So for instance, if I go to my terminal here and I do help to man, and then uh, let's see what should I do? How about trashy? It says it, it spits out for me a uh, bare minimum um uh, man page that says it it was generated by help2man 1.46.5 uh it gives me trashy July 2021 trashy version 2.2 gpl version 3 user commands and so on and so on it's it's i don't know 20 lines at the most and it's not very good but then again my trashy um help menu isn't really very good either i mean it's it's good it's just very very minimal there's not a whole lot to say about trashy so uh let's let me let me do something a little bit better than in that uh, rather rather hollow example. How about help2man opus inc? This is the encoder program for opus, the opus file format. And I do know that I don't think it does actually have a man page. So I'm going to do this, help2man opus inc, and then pipe it to man. Why not? Oh, it doesn't let me do that. I didn't realize that that wasn't a thing that I could do. Um, wow, that's really interesting. Uh what's the viewer for man if not man? Well I guess I could just pipe it out to a file and then view that in in the man application. Yeah, I guess that's what I'll have to do. I don't I don't know how to pipe something into a man viewer. Okay, help to man, opus inc redirect opus inc dot man. I don't know. I don't care right now. Uh and then I'll do man dot slash opus inc dot man. Okay, there we go. So okay, it's one, so it, it should have been dot one. Well, I will I will modify that just out of out of respect for the man system. Okay, man, opus inc., dot one. And this looks like it's an opus inc man page for opus inc opus tools 0.2 Using lib opus one three one. Synopsis open ink options input file output file dot opus description encode audio using opus. Yeah, and this looks like a man page. Not a terribly sort of like well written man page. You could argue, you know, this is not one of those that is going to take you through how you how you should use the application. Doesn't give you a whole lot of context for anything. You kind of have to, you know. This is, I think, I believe, I'm not sure, but I, I kind of by by demonstration and by reputation, I feel like this um, apple that that the man system has sort of demonstrated to me that. That it is meant to be a summary of literally all the op- options available for an application. And when you get a good one and it gives you a bunch of more information, then that's great. It's a bonus. But but this is like, yeah, this is kind of like, this is something I, p- I think probably many of us have seen. This is the bare basic requirement for a man page. Is it great? Is that the greatest thing to do? Is that the right thing to do? Hard to say, honestly. I I I tend to not like that. I tend to prefer um, two things. I prefer I prefer examples of use, and I prefer explanation of how of, of what's happening, and not necessarily in the same document. So, if the info page gives me um, the the big long narrative of why the command was created and how it works and and what's happening when you're running certain command or certain options, that's great. And then maybe the man page could be the one that gives me the options and example usages usage of the commands and those options, whatever. But this, this help to man it gives you the basics. It it turns the output of dash dash help into a man page that you can then package with an application so that if there is a requirement to have a man page entry, you have it. And I think from GNU Software's perspective, I think that they really do intend, especially since it says right here in in the sample man page, this documentation is... Kept in info, so run info, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that what their intent is that their, their programmers, GNU project maintainers, are going to be creating info pages, and then in order to get the application into Debian, then you would run help to man so that you'd have a man page and a little disclaimer at the bottom saying, hey, you should really go read the info pages. The whole thing seems like a big workaround you know it's it's just it's really kind of silly because debian's requiring this so then we give them a token version of that but 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 really what we're trying to do is secretly point them to the info pages and does anyone really using info pages and and why are we requiring a man page if all we're going to get really is the output of a help page. I mean, isn't that, isn't that, I mean, then at that point, why are we requiring man pages? So yeah, it's, it's a little bit messy. It's a little bit awkward. I don't love it. Um, and I, I kind of wish that we as Linux users could sort of get all of this stuff straight. I think that the info pages, as I've said, are really, really nice. It's a great little system. It's a hyperlinking system. Dy- not dynamic, but it's hyperlinked um, document in your terminal. No external viewer required. I mean, not the man pages require external viewers, but it is it is quite nice. It gives you kind of that website type experience. It's an w- in, in info page. It, it's well organized. It has lots of opportunity to give you lots of information about an application. C- can give you use cases and and command examples, and all those other things. ManPage is great for a quick reminder of what you need to do, but then again, isn't that just what dot dash dash help is? So that's kind of weird. Um, but maybe ManPage could be the thing that cheat is, and if you don't know what cheat is, then you should... I should do an episode on cheat sometime, actually. Um, because I've I've recently been working on a, a, my own version of cheat, and um, it, it's, a, it's a great... Like, I'm just doing the display part. The cheat sheets themselves are maintained in someone else's git repository. But it's it's a great little system that I I like a lot. So, should talk about that sometime. But anyway, that's what help2man is. That's the only executable in that package. So that's it. That's done. We're done with help2man. That wasn't so bad. But now we need to move on to the next package in the list by Alphabet, and that is indent. Indent is a pretty simple little application, but I need some code to um to have it work on. So I'm going to uh take this old hello world C application and write it. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to do a couple of things to it. I'm going to I'm going to force everything to the left. So there's no indentation in this code. So let's do that first. And then I'm going to run indent hello.c and now I'll take a look at hello. Oops, darn it. That was bad. Um, then I'm going to look at hello.c, and I, I, I see that the file has been modif- modified. There, there is indentation. It's been restructured. So the way that I write hello world in C, or, or really more broadly, the, the way that I write um, a lot of code, is I do, well, first of all, I do the declaration um, of the return type and the name of the function all in one line, so int main, parentheses, parentheses, and then the curly brace on that same line. I never put the curly brace on the next line. I don't know why it's just what is just I guess what I got used to or something. Um, so now that indent has worked on it, it has separated int and main, so it does int main parentheses parentheses, and then yet again the curly brace on its own little line, and then it indents whatever contents I had, you know printf. Um, parentheses, quote, hello world, close, quote, close parentheses, semicolon, return zero, semicolon, takes those and indents them, it looks like one, two spaces, and then again, on their, on its own line, it closes the curly brace. So completely very, very reasonable and very neat looking code. What happens? How, how, how good is indent? What if we put everything on uh, one line? Not everything, but like, include standard io.h, on one line, and then the next line, int main parentheses parentheses brace printf parentheses hello world, or whatever, close parentheses semicolon return zero semicolon curly brace literally two lines of code and now I'm going to pipe it through, or not pipe it through I'm going to do indent hello.c again, and now cat hello.c again and it's rendered the same thing, so it's separated uh, the int from the main, and it separated the curly braces so that the The curly braces are on their own line. It's quite nice. Really, really neat looking. Very, very tidy. Uh, This is really cool. I think that this does a couple of things. I think it shows... And there's actually quite a few options here. Uh, You can do dash, dash, blank lines after declarations. You can do dash, dash, blank lines after procedures. Dash, dash, blank lines before block comments. Quite Quite a few options about sort of where where it goes. Um, this is funny. Uh, dash dash Bill dash Shannon, or dash dash blank dash before dash size of. I'm assuming Bill Shannon is the person who who either wrote or requested that particular feature. dash dash GNU dash style, and I, no, for the record, I don't know who Bill Shannon is. use GNU coding style, this is the default. Uh, dash dash Linux style, use Linux styling codes, dash dash, dash tab size dash dash use tabs and so on so it's it's a pretty pretty neat and tidy application with lots of modification options for the user talks a little bit about the choices being made and how to use things this is nice this is very nice yeah pretty Pretty nifty. Um, Bill Shannon is not listed as one of the authors, so I still don't know who Bill Shannon is. And um, I think one of the things that this really, really shows me... I could be wrong, but I feel like it is because the explicit nature of C syntax that a program like this is able... a, a relatively probably simple application like this is able to exist... So for instance, if you tried to do that kind of code cleanup for Python, I, I don't even know, like, would that even, how would that even work? Python can't really be, like, corrected, really, can it? Because, I mean, if, if it's off, the in, if the indentation is off, then it doesn't know where it's supposed to go. So so you'd never have any kind of variation in Python in order to then pipe it, uh, pass it through a program like this that then makes it tidier like I don't think. I mean there might be some things that I'm not thinking of, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like it's because in C you have you have clear markers to show what what goes where, what's what what is meant to go where. And then an application like this can analyze that and modify the the code accordingly down to down to a, a curly brace, which I know that doesn't seem like a big deal, but Compared to a lot of the other stuff that I've seen, like yeah, Python and Markdown and and YAML, things that just kind of use that that have very strict structure but no no clear sign of what that structure is. This is quite refreshing. I like this. This is exactly why I like curly braces in the programming language that I use, and I like ending, uh, I like terminating characters and things like that. It's just just it makes things very clear for me and i think i think this application kind of suggests that it also makes things clear for a computer so that's um indent and then really really interesting is this thing called text that in this is the in the indent um the indent package the um there's an application called text info to man which is kind of funny because like they, they don't mention you know it's just called indent they don't really talk about text info to man unfortunately when I when I type in user bin text info to man it segmentation fault that's it segmentation fault just just issuing the command so if I do let's see um, let's do a file type on this guy elf 64 lsb x64 yeah so it's dy- dynamically linked interpreter ld linux uh, yeah. So I don't know. It looks normal. LDD says that it, it really doesn't have any dependencies to speak of. So yeah, I'm not really sure why text info to man would be segfaulting as I try to execute it, unless unless it it requires. Maybe could it be that it's it's so I don't want to say poorly written, but maybe not. It's not um, robust enough to maybe to handle when someone doesn't give it an argument? Like, that would be crazy. So let's do a... I'm going to point it to cpp.info.gz. Segmentation fault. So text info uh, to man apparently doesn't work. I don't know if it's just not working on my setup or whether it is something that doesn't work in general, but I'm, I'm not getting that that works. Now we need to talk about Intel tool and that is a package for internationalization. Get to that. that package so we can see what kind of executables are um are included and there's intel tool intel tool intel tool update prepare merge and extract i think this tool was mentioned briefly during the get text analysis when we were looking at get text such as we did I've never, like I said, when I was doing Git Text, I've I've never done this. I've never even gone through this experimentally, and so I'm going to just kind of gloss over it right now, with, with it, with the intent to do a a better tutorial for both Git Text and Intel Tool once I translate a project myself, which I do have on my long to do list. There is a project that people are actively asking for to 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 have it be made translatable, and since no one else is doing that work is going to fall on me, so I will... I do intend to do that at some point. And then hopefully I'll know a little bit more about how git text and intel tool work. But intel tool, I can say this of it, it's a command that takes text from an XML file that is meant to be translated, or the, that has translatable strings listed in it, and it kind of does the switcheroo, the, the merge of things that have been translated to things that are translatable, and mashes them all together. This happens at build time. You make the translation files once, you commit them to your repo or whatever, or your community does, and then at build time, depending on their locale, Intel tool detects things that need to be translated. There is a, much like there is a git textize command, there is an intel toolize command, and that, as long as it's an auto-tools auto project, it knows where to search for what it calls interesting files. It can do that as long as you have, what is the command in configure.ac? IT underscore prog underscore INTLTOL. That's the, the, the macro that you're triggering in configure.ac. Once you have that, then you can do Intel toolize, and it generates if it needs to be generated po/slash in. Of course, without the infrastructure of a translated project, it really doesn't do a whole lot. But the other commands like Intel tool extract, well, that does the extraction of those strings that are translatable from the XML, and then there's the Intel tool merge, which merges the translatable strings back in, and so on. So it's a little bit of a tool chain, but that's what intel tool is. Alright, next up is the kernel headers for Linux, the literal include files. So it's slash usr slash include with a bunch of header files that are provided by the Linux kernel. There are a bunch in here. They're important because when something is written for Linux, that code will want to refer to these header files for definitions and for functions and things like that. So, in fact, on many Linux distributions, if you're used to Slackware and then you go to use a different Linux distribution and, and you get it into your head that you'll just real quickly compile, you know, some application, not a problem, right? You've done it a million times on Slackware. You do it on some other Linux distribution and the first error or the first problem you you encounter usually is well, you have to have GCC installed obviously. Oops, okay. Yep. Saw that coming. Sorry. Install that. All right. Next up, let's let's do the compile now. Uh, you need make ins- installed. Okay, all right. So, auto make and auto tools and w- whatever else you can find. All right. Now let's compile it. You compile it. Can't find the Linux, you, you know some other error and and you realize, oh yeah, I need to install like the kernel headers as well. There there are usually a lot of extra steps in compiling on other distributions, and that's not because they're inferior, it's just because they don't include all this extra stuff. They're assuming that people aren't going to necessarily compile every other day, and so they don't bother including this stuff because they know that they've got it on their servers that are doing the compiling work, and people are just downloading the targets, the deliverables. These uh, Linux kernel headers are important for the way that Slackware has... I guess evolved in the sense that I mean I don't know that it was you know I I didn't really use Slackware until slackbuilds.org existed I I think that's true it might not be entirely true I don't exactly remember when slackbuilds.org came about but if I did it was right You know, just right before Slack builds, because I don't remember necessarily a time when I wasn't able to just go to Slack builds, download a script, and compile something. So I don't know how people usually did software, extra software installing, prior to having really easy build scripts. I assume it was essentially the same way. I mean, you just, instead of having a build script, you just downloaded the application and started compiling and that was certainly what I was used to when I started on Slackware. I had been I'd been running Unix for I don't know, like a year maybe two years nah, no, probably just a year. Felt felt longer than I think it probably was. But yeah, I'd been running just just Unix. And I the only way I knew how to do really anything on that was to compile software from source. Because you, you couldn't find you couldn't find the packages pre compiled. I mean, you could find some, but not, not a, not many. And I, didn't, I don't think I knew about package source at that time. I assume that would have existed then. So I was just compiling stuff, 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 just from, from source code. That was like normal for me. So when I got to Slackware and discovered that the one of the main paths of installing software was compiling it, it just felt natural. Like I didn't even. I didn't think that that was strange. I didn't think to question that or want for more. So, having the kernel headers included as a package, it's a, a nice luxury. Now, if you download a different Linux kernel and compile that yourself, you're na- naturally getting the header files for that as well. So this isn't something... Be- it, it, it's in a separate package, I think, think because they're not strictly required to run slackware you don't need these installed you don't you don't need a lot of what's in the d for development directory installed on slackware if if all you actually intend to do is run slackware you have no intention of developing on slackware you have no intention of compiling a bunch of code you don't need most of d for development if any i'd have to i'd have to relook at the the list and maybe you know do a trial install without d but it's it's not something that you necessarily need kernel headers you don't need it unless you're going to compile and just i think in practice that that means a lot of people need the kernel headers when they're running slackware but technically it's been broken out into its own package but but actually you get the you get those headers when you download a new kernel to compile a new kernel if if that's what you do which is it is something that i do so i i do have kernel headers Alright, next up is LibTool, and LibTool is another GNU project. It's the... oh, I see what they did... They used the help to man to generate their LibTool man page. I I recognized that. I recognize that now. Introduction. It says, um, In the past, if you were a source code package developer and wanted to take advantage of the power of shared libraries, you needed to write custom support code for each platform upon which your package ran. You also had to design a configuration interface so that the package installer could choose what sort of libraries were built. GNU LibTool simplifies your job by encapsulating both the platform-specific dependencies and the user interface in a single script. GNU LibTool is designed so that the complete functionality of each host type is available through a generic interface. So I think this could be a little bit difficult for some of us to even understand the benefit, because... At least in my computer-using career, I did. I've. N- I haven't had to deal with a world without libtool personally. Whereas other people might well know the benefits because they've had to deal with what life was like without libtool. And apparently, as the 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 man page itself or the description is 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 trying to convey, it it used to be a lot more difficult to ensure portability of of especially libraries across platforms so shared libraries i think we've talked about shared libraries some before but i don't know if we've ever really talked about it in this context shared libraries the idea is that you can produce reusable libraries reusable sort of packages of of, of runnable code in a self-contained file that more than one application on your system can load and use. This, I, I know I've mentioned this before, that there's libpng, look for it. Uh, where is it? It's on, it's on your computer. libpng, um, let's do a find var log packages, Lib, libpng, is that, yeah, libpng, here it is. I got a 1.6... 0.37 actually quite strange I, I thought it was way above 1.6 by now but whatever um anyway so there's there's a, a libpng and i've got both the 32 bit and the 64 bit version installed these days but libpng uh, the 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 package itself has some header files it has some library files some .so so shared object files some library archives .la files and that's basically all it has. I mean, it's it's a pretty short little little package. Um, essentially, let's call it f- maybe five or six deliverables. Like if you cut out all the all the documentation and the example .c and all of those things. Then you've got essentially, you know, like five things that you're going to actually use in real life: png.h, pngconf.h, pnglibconf.h, libpng16.la. That's where I got the one six. I I keep calling it libpng16. It's actually not sixteen. It's one point six. That's good to know. Actually, libpng 16so1637 dot uh, Yeah, one six dot three seven. So, um, oh, libpng16.pc. Anyway, my point being is that. This libpng, you can I can guarantee you, is is used a bunch of times throughout your system. Gimp uses this. Inkscape uses this. Whenever you export as a PNG, Dia uses this. Um, those are the only three things that I can think of. I, I imagine LibreOffice probably uses this. Anything that's you know sort of linking against. a you know, PNG, like this is where they get that information, from from this package right here, and specifically from either, li- probably libpng 16.so.16.37 which, I believe, if I do an ls-l slash user slash lib64 libpngsoso dot s-o dot s-o, it links to libpng16.so. So, in other words, it's libpng.so is the sort of common. That's the the sim link, and it points to specifically libpng16.so as opposed to say libpng14.so. dot um, fourteen. So the the reason that they're able to do things like that, like have you install one shared object, one library called libpng, and then have a bunch of different applications utilize that object, the reason they're able to do that is because this is a shared object, a shared. it's a shared library, it's able to be used by several different programs, and the way that the way that that works is that you can, you know, as a programmer, or maybe as a user, you can kind of imagine libpng as being say a, um, well, a, a switch or a, a funnel, and let's say it has, I don't know, a it has two inputs, one at the top and one at the bottom, and then on the other side of the of the box, it's it's got a it's one it's one output. Well, as long as those two inputs are stay at the top and the bottom of the box, then you can hot swap libpng libraries. You you could take libpng, let's say maybe 14. Uh, you could you could take that out of the equation, plug libpng 16 in where it it used to be, and and everything lines up. And you're good to go. So I mean, I don't know. I guess if you think of it as like plumbing, you know, like you can take you can take that, that that fork that Y connector out as long as you replace it with another Y connector. Now, if you take a Y connector out and then you you replace it with a smaller Y connector or a, a, a not a Y connector, just a just a single connector, then you're gonna have problems because now some some pipeline is looking for an input located right there and it's not there so that could cause problems but as long as those sort of external connectors stay the same and everything in the box you know does the same has the same configuration and is designed to be uh, to be the same then then that'll work and that's a great security feature too people praise that a lot on linux because and bsd because that way if should there be some kind of uh, exploit against libpng or 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 whatever then you can, as a developer, you can fix that, that error, that bug, and redistribute just the shared object library, just that, you know, just the shared library, just that one file or, or that one package, and then people can drop that in, simlink libpng.so to libpng seven or, or three three nine, and, and everything's back up and running. So, that's a kind of a big deal. And the idea, yeah, I I guess it's just the idea of almost a plugin structure, but on a major scale. So it's, it's not just a plugin that you load into your application. It's not a, not a little script. It's, it's part of the application itself. Now, shared libraries can be loaded at different times and you may have, you may have seen this before. Um, it, if, if an application happens to load its shared libraries when you launch the application, then there's a lot of flexibility when you're trying to when, when you decide to sort of tell the application where to look for its for for whatever it needs. Uh, the LD underscore preload environment variable can Will change where a where a um, where an application looks for a a .so file. So you may know that normally LD under or you may know normally that the linker that's going to sort of hook this shared object into your bigger application. You may know that normally it looks in slash user slash lib64. But for whatever reason, maybe you maybe you're testing a a new one. Maybe you want to make sure that. You know, before you swap everything out on your system, you want to make sure that the new one that you've um, you've made works. So you could tell it to do LD underscore preload equals uh, tilde slash mylibs slash I don't know libpng 2.4 or two and then launch your application. As as long as the application is is designed to load that object in during boot, then it will look at LD preload. Link the uh, the little library into its pipeline and launch. Now you'll get pretty immediate feedback in this case. If it's not if if it doesn't work, the application will crash. It it will fail to launch. The LD underscore preload uh, and and a couple of related Bash environment variables we used to w- use a lot back in the film industry actually because uh, there are there's kind of this unholy mess of non-open major film tools that run that are des- that are really kind of I think designed largely to run on linux and and it's a weird atmosphere because at least if you're a linux enthusiast it's it's a weird atmosphere because you, we're just so used to generally the things running on Linux being open source and so you can just kind of recompile them to make them work and so on. but there are a bunch of really high-end film applications that are not open source and so you get them and maybe there are some weird um, sort of not hacks but yeah weird hacks to to ensure that well this application is going to launch out of your opt directory but we also need to redirect all of its all of the default paths, to slash opt slash weird tool slash lib, you know my libs whatever. Um, so yeah, we, we, we would see ld underscore preload a lot in the film industry, just because it was it we had to override so many of the default paths on on a system for one reason or another. Uh, and then you can also have these this plugin happen during. During the application as it runs, like on an as-needed basis, it's called lazy. It's usually called lazy loading or something like that. Lazy is is usually the term that I've heard for that. And in in those cases, the application doesn't actually try. It doesn't doesn't assemble the pipeline until that avenue is requested. So, for instance, if you are let's say using Inkscape, and I'm, I'm I actually don't know how Inkscape loads the the libpng, for instance, but let's assume, let's pretend like it doesn't bother loading that PNG until you try to export or, or actually import. You're, you're trying to import a PNG. Let's pretend like Inkscape doesn't load that in until you try to use an import or an export function because Inkscape natively just assumes that you're going to just kind of use vectors. So, and again, this is all, I'm, I'm making this up sort of. I, I don't know when Inkscape does this but let's pretend for now that it does it during runtime and so you might you might go to import a png and if you had forgotten to install libpng or the version that you've installed is is grossly out of date and just not sufficient or or it's been corrupted the file has been corrupted or moved or whatever then inkscape would attempt to import a png it would assemble the pipeline it would find that either the libpng box that you provide on your system is either missing or it doesn't fit in right, and then it would crash, presumably. Uh, Again, I'm making all of this up. I'm not actually trying to suggest that, Inkscape doesn't know how to handle um, errors. I'm just saying that let's pretend like the, those things are true and then we and then we can imagine a, a moment where an application could crash because it can't find it can't assemble the pipeline and you're trying to uh, you know turn on the you're, you're trying to send stuff through the pipeline. That's a bad thing. But otherwise it's actually quite handy because then your application could launch without really a complete pipeline. So it might launch faster, it might launch, Um, It might be able to use less memory because it doesn't ever have some things loaded at all because you just never used the PNG functionality in that application or whatever functionality. I'm just using, again, PNG. I'm just randomly using that as an example. Well, not so randomly. I'm using it as an example because that's the one shared library that I've had the most sort of fun with. So that's, that's what shared libraries provide the problem one a problem is that on some systems there aren't shared libraries and then another problem or another situation might arise where by for whatever reason you don't want to use a shared library don't know why you wouldn't but let's say you you, you don't want to so in those cases apparently before the days of yore um you would have to sort of if if you want to do guarantee that your code would compile and function correctly across many Unix platforms, or I guess probably even other platforms, then you'd have to design the answers for each platform yourself. LibTool changes that. It abstracts a bunch of the things that you would normally have to worry about away from you, and takes care of it on its own. And it also auto-detects what kind of system it is compiling on, so it knows whether to try whether it's going to shoot for a shared library or a static library and so on. I think this is probably pretty difficult to to demonstrate to be honest because um, it, it doesn't it, you know it kind of applies in very specific situations um, not only reliant upon the code itself like you, you you would need demo code that would create a library and then be called by some other application. So that's getting a little bit complex. Probably worth doing someday, but I don't know that I'm that dedicated to this. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do two things. One, I'm going to demonstrate the the easy the easy solution, the easy way um, that you would use, that you could use libtool in real life very quickly, without without really having to think about it, because libtool. Actually, in a way, is designed to extend AutoMake. Uh, yeah, Auto Auto tools, I guess, generally. But yeah. Um, so I'm gonna take a drink of coffee here. I'm aware that I haven't done a coffee break, and it doesn't look like we're gonna get to it this episode because we're getting pretty late in the show, and I just kind of want to power through LibTools. So, um, so here's I- I've just downloaded GNU Hello. It's the default hello world application for for the GNU project. It's pretty, um, it's pretty basic to be honest. But I think it'll kind of demonstrate, just like I say, the easy way to, to get this, uh, to, to, to use lib tool. This is kind of one of the, the common ways that you're going to encounter it. So I've just untarred hello into hello-2.9, and then I'm going to do a make, I mean a dot slash configure, and then I'm going to do, actually, I won't even make. I don't even have to make it. I'm just doing a dot slash configure. Now, by default, GNU Hello does not invoke libtool. It does not assume that you have libtool on your system. It makes no mention of libtool. I can prove this with grep by doing grep dash capital H lowercase i libtool makefile, and there's no results there. Okay, so we'll just take that um, on faith that that means that this does not use libtool for a moment, and now I'm going to change directory and get another copy. So I'm going to change that directory. Actually, I'm going to move that directory to hello-2.9-no-libtool, and then I'm going to untar a new copy of it, and then I'll I'm going to open up the configure.ac file. So this is where where you create the the, the configure script which, which already exists so I'll have to regenerate it but I'm just um, I'm just going to go in here and add one line after AC underscore prog underscore cc. I mean it doesn't really have to, I don't know why I said after that line I'm just I guess I'm telling you where I am line 28 if you're really curious. LT underscore init parentheses square bracket DL open close square bracket close parentheses there we go dl um, dlopen is the system call that loads dynamic shared object files, so shared libraries. And so that's a that's a thing that is provided by Linux. Now it doesn't necessarily mean that it's provided by anything else, but it is provided by Linux. So in this case, I'm telling the make file that I want to L- I want I want to use the macro Lt underscore init, so that's libtool init. And uh the thing that I want to enable here is DL open. And now I'm going to do a dot slash no, I'm not gonna do a dot slash configure yet. I'm gonna do auto reconf dash i. And I forget what the dash i I guess I should look that up really quick. Let's look at what the dash i says. Uh install. That's right, I knew that. Uh so that creates some stuff. Did it work? Yes, it apparently did work. Okay, so now I'm going to do autoconf, and I believe that works as well. well that's really nice. And now I'm going to do auto make dash dash install dash missing, just to make sure we get everything. Oh, does that not auto make doesn't have that flag? I thought that was the flag where I usually used that. Apparently not. Okay, so just auto make then. Whatever. So now I should be able to do a dot slash configure, and that processes. It's all, I feel like it's a little bit longer this time too. I wouldn't swear to it, but it definitely feels like it's taking longer to do the dot slash configure. It's doing a lot of new checks, and then it's done. And then I'm going to do a grep dash capital H lowercase i uh, for libtool in makefile, and oh, I got seven results. So I've got a makefile hit that. Uh, references libtool a couple of different times... Oh, much more than seven hits, what am I talking about? Um, wow, libtool.m4, um, libtool, libtool builder, um, libtool... Yeah, so there's there's a bunch of, of sort of libtool references here, which is good, that's what I would expect. So now if I do a make-j6, let's try to speed that up, that works. Uh, apparently that worked, and then I could do a, well, I could execute the, the program and it would work. I don't, I don't know really what that would um, actually prove in any way, so I guess that doesn't really make that big of a difference. The point is, I think, that the lt underscore init parentheses square bracket dl open close square brackets close parentheses is a really easy way to bring libtool tool into your make file. It, it requires a couple of things from your macro collection, of course, but I'm assuming that comes with, with LibTool. Let's find out. LibTool 2.4.6. Yeah, aclocal m4, LT, libtool.m4, ltdl. That's, the, um, that's LibTool's sort of implementation, or I think mimicry of DLopen lt options.m4 lt sugar. So yeah, there's a couple of different macros in here included with libtool. So it gives you a whole sort of gives you you know w- when you install and use libtool, and y- you might have to require it uh, of your of your users. You know it's it is it's something that they'll have to have as well when they're compiling the thing if if, if that's what they're doing. But um, I mean, on, generally on Linux, you're I think most people are going to have it anyway. But that's what libtool. That's the easy way to use libtool is just invoke it in a make file and let the system figure out, and that's what libtool is designed to do. It'll figure out whether you what kind of features you need to use within libtool in order for you know in order for you to 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 be able to sort of take advantage of of what it o- has to offer. Okay, so what I'm going to do now, I guess, is make a really quick hello world application, which will just be uh, main.c, and I'm going to I'll just make it maybe not a hello world application, but maybe it'll print, underscore, under, printf, parentheses, underscore, underscore, version, underscore, underscore, close parentheses, semicolon, so it's a hello world application that just doesn't happen to print the words hello world. And now I'm going to use libtool to to generate, well, I, I guess first maybe I'll, I'll use GCC to create an execute uh, an a shared object, a shared library, as one would normally. And that would be GCC-G for debugging, dash capital O to enable any kind of optimization, which of course with this little application is silly. Uh, and then dash C, which does the... Um, Oh man, will I be able to figure out what that stands for? Probably not. Dash C option, option says not to run the linker. There you go, that is, that. That is I I did figure it out. Good for me. Dash C to create the, the shared object, main.c. Well, that happens quickly, and there's main.o. Of course, I can't execute main.o, but I could do a file on main.o and learn that it is a re-lo- relocatable, uh, with debugging information, not stripped, ELF, well, ELF 64-bit LSB relocatable. So that's what that is. Okay, easy. So now, let's watch what would happen. I mean, it'll be essentially the same thing, but let's let's anyway do this with uh, LibTool instead. And LibTool... It's going to be shockingly simple, but it's kind of a preamble. So libtool, space dash dash mode equals compile, and then gcc dash g dash capital O for optimizing dash c, not to run the linker, main dot c, and two things happen. So libtool tells me that it's compiled with the command gcc dash g dash o dash c main dot c dash fpick dash d as in delta pick Dash o dot libs main dot o and then gcc dash g dash capital O dash c main c dash o main dot o sending the output to dev null uh, simply because it doesn't want to clutter up the terminal which in this case wasn't really a danger anyway you can you you can see the output of the command in cases that you need that with a dash no dash suppress flag but with a simple application like this that doesn't apply so anyway what's happened is that we uh, I've just compiled this this library into in into a main dot o which should be in my current directory it is a main dot lo which isn't it's a text file actually but it's a it's an important text file because it get, gives libtool guidance when it needs to know what to how to compile things and then uh, there's a hidden directory here so if I do an ls dash no ls dot ls space dot libs then I see that in that directory, there is a file called main.o. And that file was compiled with the dash fpic flag, which is a position-independent code um, flag, which if I go to GCC, do a search for space, 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 dash fpic, it says, if supported for the target machine, Emit position-independent code suitable for dynamic linking and avoiding any limit on the size of the Global Offset Table, or GOT. This option makes a big difference on m 68 8K, PowerPC, and Spark, so not, not for x86, but um, the dash FPIC enables position-independent code which essentially is important if a library is loaded into memory addresses that that aren't standard. Because if you're loading a library into memory space the same way every time, then your system can treat those memory addresses as absolute. It never has to figure out where your your library is loaded, because it's always addressed at the same place. If if it's loaded into different places from time to time, then it needs to know where to where to find it and what, what offset to use in order to find it. Um, LibTool again can manage this. It, it, it detects whether your system is capable of of sharing libraries or not, and it it compiles what is necessary. Now we're not seeing all the different options here because I'm on Linux, and so there are a lot of things that I, that, that, that just happen here on Linux, on x86 uh, underscore 64, on 64-bit Linux. Whereas on a different platform, LibTool would have to make different allowances. Okay, so what I'm going to do here now is link this library, the main.o, into a library archive with LibTool. So LibTool dash dash mode equals link this time. And so this is doing a step that we that I intentionally skipped previously. I said, do not run a linker, because of dash C, and just leave me with an object file. So this time I'm doing dash dash mode equals link, rather than dash dash mode equals compile, and then running basically the same, well not the same, but a similar command. GCC dash G for debugging still, dash capital O for optimizing, not that it matters in this case, and then dash o, I'm gonna call this thing libhello.la. Why not? And then the thing that I want to add to that archive is main.o in my current directory, and I get an error, or a warning actually, sorry, a warning. And it says linking the shared library libhello.la against the non-lib tool object main.o is not portable. Now again, if you're doing this with auto make and autotools, tools and you've just got LT underscore init for your to bring in libtool, all of this goes away. Like this is all handled by by libtool. This is just doing it manually. So it's telling me that's not portable. And the reason that's not portable is because well it ignores anything that libtool knows about your system. So instead of doing that, I'm gonna I'm gonna I think I'm gonna trash libhello.la, and now I'm gonna run the same command, libtool link, uh, mode equals link, uh, gcc dot, o, libhello.la, main.lo, oops, lo, instead of just main.o. So now I'm linking it against a libtool object file, and this time I don't get a warning, it's happy with that, and it's run a bunch of extra commands to account for what it needs to do, what it knows that it needs to do um, for, for all of this to work. And specifically, it's, it's, um, it's doing some cleanup here from some temporary files. It runs the AR archive command against the, the, the object that it knows it needs, and then it runs ran lib and so on. So, it's happier this time. Now, again, a lot of this is kind of imaginary because on 64-bit, a lot of, it's like, we're not getting the full advantage of this, but, I mean, I guess we are because because it's working, um, but I guess in real life, we would probably be more excited about this process if we were, you know, doing it diff- on two different platforms. So, um, that's kind of it, to be honest. Um, that's LibTool. It's, Kind of what it does. Uh, I feel like I could have done with a better example, but I just didn't know how to generate one, to be honest. Uh, so I think probably at the end of this, it's safe to say that the fact that this seems not impressive means that we're in a really good place right now. Like, we don't have to worry about stuff that potentially we would have to worry about in a time before LibTool. Um, you can hear... All kinds of horror stories, if you look hard enough online, about, yeah, what it would take, or what it takes to, to to sort of account for all the different platforms out there without LibTool. And we all know how bad I think it feels to have to reinvent the wheel, and that's essentially what LibTool is. It's the wheel that we don't have to reinvent It targets lots of different platforms. You do not have to worry about how your code is going to get compiled on different platforms because LibTool can detect what it needs and compile appropriately. That's it, I think, for LibTool. That is it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Sorry for the lack of a coffee break. I will talk to you next time.